It's the Punk Rock Classrooms Podcast, Episode 4, DIY. I'm sick with this, I'm sick with this. Since you were just a button, without judgment, my own sweet down, did it teach what I found? I didn't recognize you for this. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Maybe it's your commute, maybe it's your plan time. I am Mike, lead learner and principal extraordinaire at Oakland Elementary School in Lansing, Illinois. And I'm Josh Buckley, a social studies teacher and a uh, teacher's union president in Mesa, Arizona. And we want to welcome you to the Punk Rock Classrooms podcast. Let's get our classrooms to be like a punk show, bringing passion, unity, and a little DIY to what we do. Yeah, you don't need to have to be a punk or listen to punk rock to bring a punk rock mindset to your school. We can all be punks here at the Punk Rock Classrooms Podcast. All right, Mike. So this episode, man, we're talking about DIY. Can you tell everybody, tell everybody what DIY means, man? Yeah, so DIY is just basically do it yourself. Um, you know, you're not, you're not going to wait for someone to give you the okay or give you the funds or give you the approval. You're just going to you know, take matters into your hand, own hands. You want something done, you go get it done. Right, you go out and do it. And I think, you know, this DIY attitude was a giant part of the punk scene, man. That's that's what made punk rock punk rock, right? It was yes. sort of it was sort of no rules, go do what you needed to do. And, and you know, growing up in that punk scene and, and being in a punk band, DIY was like just what we did. That's how we operated, right? right. Um, I, was, I was in a punk band back in the day and, you know, we had to go, we had to put on our own shows, man. How many shows did you go to that were just put on by, by kids or just put on by the scene, not by some big venue? Right. So yeah. many, man. Yeah. So like many. so many of them were just put on. And so I remember being a band and, and what we did is we ended up essentially, you know, making all of our own stuff, man. We taught ourselves- right. My my dad bought me a four track recorder, a cassette recorder, right? And and right. that's that's how I recorded, you know, the band I was in. That's how we recorded our first tape. We had no idea what we were doing, but we sat down and we figured it out. It was trial and error, but we did it. We owned that thing, right? Like right. we figured out how to. We we you know designed the cover. We cut it out. We we got together one night. And got our like our paper cutter and you know like just spent a night folding cassette inserts <laughs> you know what i mean oh, yeah and, and you know we figured out how to write our html code man because nice. that was like at the beginning of the internet and so we had an angel fire website we taught ourselves how to how to angel code, fire right <laughs> none of this drag and drop stuff that you get right. now with like squarespace and stuff we literally had to learn html so we could create our super crappy punk rock website so people could come find out when our shows were man right like, we uh we took our art classes at school and we turned them into like mini punk rock DIY places, man. Like oh, cool. I I don't think our art teacher knew how much she was helping like foster this DIY punk scene for us. But like we had this uh we had like a unit on silk screening in my art class in high school. And so what did we do? We figured out how to silk screen patches, right? And so yeah. we, we made designs, we bought this, you know, we, we took, uh, you know, uh, this design and we bought a bunch of canvas at like Joanne Fabrics and started making our own patches and cutting them out and selling them at shows and stuff. And here's the thing, man, we owned all of that stuff. 
right? Like it was ours. No one could take it away from us. I still have that tape that we made in like 1997. Uh, You know, like I still have it, one of the original ones and it was ours and, and we did that. And, you know, I think what we see as educators, right? We, we have to do this DIY thing ourselves, right? Like we live, we live in this DIY space, you know? So as we kind of talk about this idea of DIY in the classroom, we, we can jump into what this looks like for teachers. I know that you wrote a blog about, about DIY and what that means uh, for you is, as a, as a leader. Um, So what, what is DIY you know, what did that look like for you? And what does that feel like for you as a leader on a campus? I kind of still use the same kind of mentality and approach to my leadership role as when I was a classroom teacher. So, you know, when I wrote that blog about DIY, it was coming at a time where our district had just rewrote our math curriculum. Um, Instead of using like a, a package program we bought like our teachers kind of rewrote it so they have ownership of this new math curriculum we just did the same thing with our ELA uh, curriculum as well and you know when I wrote that blog it was a time where a lot of teachers were coming to me kind of asking for things to get bought because the year was kind of ending so they knew the new budget was going to come out so they wanted all these programs and it just kind of got me to thinking like we don't need to buy all this fancy stuff you know, like you said, in, in your band, like you guys made your own tape, you, you pressed your own inserts, you know, you made your own patches, like, and you still got out there and got your, your name out there. And that's how bands get their exposure, you know, from, from word of mouth and just put in the hard work. That's right. Um, and I think a lot of educators now kind of look at like, well, we need to buy this program. We need to buy that. And that's not true. I mean, nothing is going to replace just quality instruction and relationships that a teacher builds. I mean, that's all you really need to have a successful classroom. So I kind of wrote that from the approach of, I mean, as, as a principal, I can't tell you how many sales calls I get a day, how many emails <laughs> I get a day of just vendors trying to get me to buy their programs. Right. And a lot of it's just, I mean, it's kind of like junk, you know, it's, right. it's it, we don't need all that. So I just kind of look at it as we have the tool I mean, sure, there's things out there that are nice and great, but we have everything that we need if, if we're collaborating with each other, you know, we're building these relationships. I mean, I always come back to relationships. We're going to show academic growth. Our students are going to show social emotional growth. Um, a real quick story. When I was teaching, one of my favorite things was, you know, smart boards were just coming out. Everyone in the school wanted a smart board. You had board, to have one, right? <laughs> only certain teachers got one. The art teacher, who was a good friend of mine, he designed his own smart board using like a projector and Nintendo Wii remotes. <laughs> and it was like this interactive, like with the way the, way the lights work. I don't, I don't even know how he did it, man. But the kids loved it yeah. because it was something, you know, he kind of created out of his own, the tools he had. Yeah. And they they bought in more into that than when they went to the teacher down the hall with the actual smart board and you know. So well, you, you think about it like this, Mike. The idea is like we know that um, buy-in and sort of ownership 
are super important to, to a student's academic success. And as a leader, as a classroom, you know, as a, as a leader of a school, you know that programs and, and the stuff that you're, that you're asking your staff to do, if they don't buy into it and if they don't own it, it's not going to work. Right. You know, you can bring in this great program that's going to, you know, that, that has all this promise about how it's going to solve your discipline issues or it's going to solve academic issues on your campus. But if you don't get your staff to buy into it, right, if right. they don't feel a part of it, it's not going to it's not going to go anywhere. So no. and, and this idea of DIY, right, like building it yourself, it creates so much ownership. Yes. Right? you have a vested interest. When I spent all those nights with, with like my bandmates cutting out all the, the covers for these tapes, we own that thing, man. That was ours. We wanted to make sure everybody got their hands on it because right. we spent so much time on it. It meant the world to us that we created this thing. Right. And, and that's a big piece of this. And I think it's, it can start in the classroom too, right? Oh, like, definitely. It needs to start there, yeah. Right. And, and so as a classroom teacher, I always feel like one of the very first things, if you want buy-in to what, what happens in your classroom, your own classroom rules should be something that is DIY, right? It should be something that your kids are a part of. Your students are a 100%. part of creating that because it's their classroom, right? Like... You've even down to kindergarten, because I know you're at the high school level, yeah. and and you know I'm at the right now K through five building. I mean, even kindergarten students can help have a voice in what the classroom expectations are going to be. Right, and then they're going to be more apt to follow that because now they've helped create it. It wasn't somebody standing up in front saying, "Here's what I expect you to do." You know, right? And it really comes down to this idea of like if we help build it, right? If your students help build it. Uh, they own it. And when yes. they own it, it, it's theirs. And they, there's more buy-in to that. And it, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can do that in the classroom, whether it's, you know, assignment choice for kids, right? If you've got kids and, and you don't have to assess learning in your classroom the same way for every student. Right. Right. You don't have Everyone to learns differently. Right. Everybody learns a little differently and everybody has a has different abilities about how they want to showcase that learning to right. you. So it doesn't have to be the same, you know, multiple choice test. It doesn't have to be everybody writes this one, you know, this this five sentence paragraph to show you how it works. Right. It doesn't have to be this same ticket out the door that we do all the time it really helps to give your students options on, you know, there's always a time when students are going to have to showcase their learning in one way, whether that's, you know, your state standardized test or, you know, benchmarks or whatever it is. But along the way, why not give your students some choice in what this looks like, right? Let well, them, yeah, let them buy into it and, and see what that means. I mean, with my kids at the high school level, it comes down to a lot about, you know, research is small groups. I give them a pathway and say, all right, this is what I want. You know, we're, we're talking about this topic. You guys figure out what you, what you want to learn, right? So for example, right. my kids just did a, a big research project on political parties and ideology, right? Okay. And so I sent them on their way and said, all right, here's some parties you can pick from. You decide which parties and here are, here's a list of, you know, um, topics and policies. You figure out where they, you pick which ones, you find out where they stand on it, 
and you you do that if what do you want to learn about where do you want to you know what's the what's the idea that impacts you right now as a 17 18 year old in my government class do you want to know where they stand on you know on uh the cost of college do you want to know where they stand on you know uh safety in schools or you know gun violence then right. go explore that and you give them this open opportunity and and my students in this research had some really great conversations in their small groups that probably wouldn't have happened had i stood up in front of class and said all right guys here's what this party says and their platform about right. this right they got to explore that and have those small conversations and and really own what they were doing and really do that and you know, it could be Socratic seminars in the classroom, right? Where, where your kids get to drive discussion. Right. Um, it could be all of those things like, you know, what's your curriculum look like? And, and I know that you just said this, the idea, you know, you talked about letting your teachers design curriculum and, and work together, right? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, they totally, we had a committee, every grade level was represented from different representatives from each of the buildings. And they took the state standards and the skills that were assessing kids on and they they created it's you know basically it's a, a, a roadmap a blueprint yeah. because when it comes down to how you're going to implement this skill like say it's inferencing you know the teacher in room 100 might use this story and these texts to, to teach that whereas the the teacher in room 101 it's going to teach the same skill and standard but they're going to go about a whole other way doing right. it you know their way one thing in in i like when you told your story and it's got me thinking, Josh, that <laughs> you, you know, as, as teenagers, punk rock teenagers, you learn how to HTML code, you learn how to do silk screen patches, you learn how to, you know, you know, press and copy how many like liner notes for your <laughs> right. But those are all skills that you, you had to learn to push your band's message forward to kind of promote yourselves. Right. But those are all skills that you've been able to carry with you through life. Oh and yeah, man, for sure. Had, had you gone to some company and said, Hey, can here's our here's our demo, can you make us a thousand copies? Or you sent out your patches to a, a a you wouldn't have learned these things. You hire, you know, somebody a website to create your stuff, you would have lost all those skills. So we need, you know, I saw a quote the other day on Twitter um, or Instagram where you know they I can't remember the exact quote, but it said something like, you know, kids ask, you know, two percent of questions a day where the teachers doing 98% of the, yeah. of the questioning and it needs to be flip-flop because schools aren't here for us. Like we've already know the content. We know these lessons, like the students need to take this learning in their own hands. And like you said, just have these collaborative discussions because they're going to learn more just talking and bouncing ideas off each other. And we just need to be kind of facilitating around the rooms working with them. I mean, I do the same with my staff. Like when we do staff meetings, I don't just sit up there and talk. They don't want to hear me talk for two hours after school. Right. Um, we got them up and moving, working with each other, working with people like fifth grades, working with kindergarten. We got them mixed up to get here ideas from all these different parties because everyone's got different strengths, backgrounds and whatnot. So, yeah, man, like I like I still use all that Photoshop and Illustrator knowledge that I learned back in the day from my band. I use all the time. Right. All the time. The amount of problem solving that it takes when you, when you have to solve a problem on your own, all those skills that you learn 
you're going to carry that stuff forever. And that's, that's, right. that should be part of what we're doing for our students, right? This idea that we want them to be problem solvers, right? We want right. them to be creative thinkers and, and we want them to be able to enter the world, uh, you know, the workforce or college or their community being ready to sort of um, solve those big problems. And this idea of creating yeah. DIY in your classroom, creating DIY, you know, in on your campus, this, this idea that we give students some free reign to learn and to grow and to experiment, whether that's in a maker space or whether that's in, right. you know, STEM learning that you're doing. And we do the same thing for the educators that we lead, right? You, you right. Want, as, a, as a classroom teacher, I want my leaders to give me some leeway to explore and do and figure out what, what works best and give me the time right. to collaborate with my colleagues to do that kind of work, right? It's super important for us to do that. Right. You know, um, and so that's that, that big piece of this, right? Like um, I'm serving right now on an equity task force in my district, right? Okay. And one of the things that we have to figure out is what does equity mean for us as a district, right? What, is right. it, what does it mean to have equitable, equitable education practices in Mesa, Arizona? And what are our barriers right now to that? And that's not going to come from me and, you know, my, my, my partner in this, uh, Dr. Garcia. We're not going to, it's not up to us to just come down and say, the, this is what equity means. And right. here are our right. roadblocks, right? Like that doesn't work. So our goal is to bring teachers, students, and leaders together to talk about like, what, what is equity from right. a student viewpoint, from an educator viewpoint, from a leader viewpoint, and build what that means for our district. And so we'll own that. So when we go to implement this equity plan, it's ours. You, yeah, you've owned it. You've created it. You right. put in all the hard work for it. Not someone else isn't coming in and doing it for you. Right. And, and, and that's super important to this. And, you know, in your work as a as a as a leader as a classroom leader you know how are what are you seeing your teachers aside from curriculum what are you seeing them create what are they doing that sort of diy or how do you facilitate that as a leader on your campus you know the main thing is it, it i i just want them to create you know meaningful engaging experiences for these kids that, that they're going to learn from not it's not all just fun and games but you know we the goal is we want these kids running back into our doors each and every day they, they need to be excited to, to be here at our school and yeah. i feel this year they are the staff's excited to be here the kids are and for me as a leader it all kind of starts with modeling you know practicing what i preach you know telling them you got to get out of your comfort zones you got to do some lessons you know, kids aren't going to learn the way we learn sitting there in straight rows like here in a lecture all day. Like th those days are long gone. Yeah. Like, so, you know, all last year I started modeling, you know, sharing my blogs out there, doing our faculty meetings much differently where we're getting up, we're playing games, we're laughing, but we're still, you know, getting the right content. Yeah. Still doing know. the work, right? We're doing the work, but it, it's, it's in a fun way. And it's, they don't even realize, you know, that they're really working, you know, and I've, I've been in classrooms where the kids are, they think they're just playing a game 
but the conversations they're having with each other, the conversations the teacher who's serving as the facilitator is having with them is so rigorous and engaging, but the kid's going to retain that, that information way more than if they sat there and stared at a worksheet. So, you know, we've kind of got the mindset where we don't need all these fancy programs. I mean, there's some, there's certain programs in district spot and, you know, some of them are beneficial and used, but we, we're kind of getting away from looking for what the next best thing is out there and just using what we have. You know, you can have an entire lesson, you know, with a shoebox and Legos. I mean, just think of the, <laughs> right. think of all the possibilities you can do with that. I mean, you could teach every content, do a whole cross curricular lesson for the day with that. I mean, so it's kind of going about that route and then just knowing that, you know, I say it all the time, you know, the, the federal government, the government, they're, they're not bringing us all the money that, you know, education and school districts deserve or that we should be entitled to. Um, if, if you're holding, waiting for that, you're going to hold your breath and you're going to pass it out, man. I mean, you just got to, the time's now, like, don't wait anymore. I mean, that's what I kind of tell the teachers, you know, don't sit there and wait for something to get approved. Um, or purchased or brought in for you, just do it, do it now, do what you have. I mean, I guarantee someone down the hall from you has the resources to help you out, get it done. Right. I mean, so many teachers now, there's GoFundMe's. I mean, there's these clear the lists. I mean, there's so many ways to get things without, you know, breaking your own wallet. So. Right. Right. And so we, we, uh, you know, we did our slow chat and we asked folks a couple questions and said, Hey, chime in. You know, our first question we asked, we put this out there was what is one thing you do to help your students have ownership of their learning and their classroom. And we got more responses than we can share. So we're going to share a couple, here's a couple for question one. So one of the responses we got was from, uh, Miss B, uh, and she responded, in terms of owning learning in the classroom, inquiry-based projects are awesome because the kids ask the questions, reach their own conclusions, and support their reasoning. It makes lessons more meaningful so the info sticks. That's just Perfect. what we were talking about. Yeah, man. Like, if you own it, like, that's the thing is you, if you did it, you're going to retain that and you're going to own that knowledge more. Then if someone just, you know, right. like when you open up, you can't open up a kid's brain and just shove info in there. They have to, yeah. they have to play with it. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and so that, that was one of the first ones we got. Mike, why don't you hit the next one? Yeah, we had Pawan Wander and she said, get them to be the experts. Give them the means to become the teachers and let them have at it. Of course, teachers will facilitate their research and understanding, but when they realize they will be the masters of that knowledge, they love to show it off. I mean, again, as we were saying, let the kids take control. Let it's their learning. Let them own their learning. Right. And we kind of step back and help facilitate it and guide them there. I mean, that's what we should be doing is guiding, not doing right. it for them. Exactly, because we like it's it's this idea that they should be doing the learning. They right. should be owning it as well. And so we've got Drew Boyce. Same question said. Uh, with a UDL lens, so universal design for learning lens, we can provide choice and voice. We have had chats with colleagues about shifting from a culture that engages learners to one where learners become empowered. Uh, I think we can work to create these conditions for both staff and students. And that's, that's, so, that's such a good idea, right? This idea of it's not, just about, it's not just about engaging, right? Engagement is great, but there comes a time when you also have to like hand over the classroom to the students so right. that they can do some real discovery for themselves. Definitely. And so then we had our, our second question. So right. 
Second question, um, what is something that you have had to DIY or create for your classroom or school? Katie Gazda, we're teachers. We DIY everything. <laughs> science kits for most of our labs range $100 to $500. So the students and I engineer our own labs by creating the regions from scratch, saving money and taking our science knowledge deeper, which is a twofer. And I agree. I mean, those kits are going to mean more than the ones that they just bought that came prepackaged, man. Right. Like they did it. Uh, so Mr. Cheney says milk crates. <laughs> My classroom is an old converted wood shop room, no shelves or places to display. I actually took milk crates every week to make a display area for class or class reading spaces. Uh, and so that Ms. Cheney's on the, uh, the staff room podcast. Yes. So we actually did a little episode about milk crates because of our question, which is fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. We do have to build so much stuff in our classroom. There's no way around yeah. it, man. No, there's not. And I, and I love when I walk into a classroom, they've, they've kind of made their own flexible seating or they've got their own, you know, shelving or whatever yeah. they have there. It's, it's, it's just, it's got a much nicer touch than seeing something all, all purchased. Um, Oh, then we have one from Gabby Buckley. Huh, I wonder who that is. I wonder who that is, Josh. <laughs> you might know her. As a first-year school leader, I started a culture of care for students, staff, and our community. This year, I'm concentrating on helping staff understand how much I value them. When they're cared for, they care for others. You know, she's I mean, a smart yeah. lady. She's a smart she's, lady. <laughs> yeah. I'm very smart, too. I, you know, I did. So, you know, those are some just some great examples. I hope that you'll join us on our next slow chat that you can come yes. and join us on that. You know, our next episode is going to be on how our classrooms can be like a punk show, right? Like we've we talked about little mini topics there. Yeah, we're going to hit a bunch of mini topics about how, you know, you and I spent a bunch of time at punk shows as kids. And there are some basic things that happen at a punk show that are that can be essentially translated to uh, like your classroom. And, yeah. and, and a school and how that can work. And so, you know, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Punk Classrooms. You can follow Mike on Twitter at MEarnshaw158. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh R. Buckley. Uh, and then, you know, let them know. Uh, how can they follow us on those slow chats, Mike? Yeah, so when we get the slow chats going, it'll probably come out a few days. Usually we, we kind of start them on a Thursday after the episode drops. Um, but they can follow the hashtag punk rock classrooms and uh, just follow the question and put your answer with the hashtag punk rock classrooms. Fantastic. We want to thank everybody who sent in some comments for this one. We couldn't yeah, get we to them all, uh, but we're glad so many people are participating. Yeah. So Josh, before we go, what have you been listening to this week? Oh man, this has been, this has been a good work week. This has been a good week for music. I found uh, one band that has just been on like solid. This one song has just been on solid repeat. It's by this band called uh, Telethon and uh, they have this album called hard pop. And it's like if a group of musical theater kids put out a power pop punk rock album. It is, it's, nice. there's like a key change at the end and it like, it makes all the goosebumps, right? Like it makes your hair stand yeah. on end. Uh, it's been a super fun listen that I've been, I've had that on repeat a couple times. Just this one song, it's called, uh, how long do I let it go for uh, by telethon. So check it um, out. It's, it's, yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. How and about then, you, sir? What, what have you been listening to? Yeah, i I go through this phase every couple of years. Uh, there's this band Hazen Street that was uh, 
kind of like a, a super group formed. They had uh, Toby Morris from H2O and then Freddie from Madball both sang on the on both vocalists. And then I had some guys from the Crow Mags and, and you know, a lot of those New York. <laughs> yeah, those New York hardcore bands. But the thing that's cool about it, it's it doesn't sound like, you know, Madball. It doesn't sound like H2O. To me, it's more just kind of like a mid-tempo, kind of like a pop, like rock type of band, which – when you see pictures of, of you know, Google Haven Street, you see them standing on these, you know, alleys in New York. Yeah. And when you listen to it, I mean, it's, you could tell there's components from their other bands in there, but it's just, there's, there's something about it, man. And I just, like I said, every couple of years, it just pops in my head. I'm like, I'm putting Hazen Street on. And once <laughs> I do, I can't stop listening to it. So that, that's, that's all I've been listening to. Awesome. Rad. <laughs> so yeah, we just, you know, we want to thank everyone for listening this week. Uh, any of the, the platforms, you know, I know iTunes, give us a rating and uh, we'll get ready for our next uh, episode ne- uh, dropping in two weeks. Uh, how to make your classroom like a punk show. Awesome, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening so much. And we'll see you at the show. We will see you at the show. Have a good one. <laughs> All right. I can't